Hello and welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast, a show where we bring you insights from media industry experts to help journalists do their jobs better. I'm your host, Jacob Granger. Today, we're going to talk about how to ace interviews with experts. Experts play an essential role in our news cycle. They provide knowledge and help us break down complex subjects for our audience. We saw this during the pandemic, but specialists are crucial for news stories about business, politics or economics. Often, what we really need here are simple questions and answers from both sides of the interview. What we sometimes get instead are interviewers with an inferiority complex and interviewees with too large of an ego. We're talking to Nick Huber today, a journalist and consultant with more than two decades of experience. As a regular writer for the Financial Times, he himself has become a specialist in many areas of tech, like artificial intelligence or cloud computing, but he also regularly has to speak to experts. He shares advice on speaking to specialists with confidence, from getting your priorities straight to encouraging them to answer basic questions. That's all coming up, so don't go anywhere. Nick, welcome to the Journalism.co.uk podcast. Thank you so much for jumping on the show. Good to be here. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. A little known fact about you, Nick, is you're not sure how to pronounce your own last name. Is it Huber or Hubber? I th- I think it's Huber. And I think it probably, does that, what are the two dots above the U called? The Umfasand or something? I think it's probably... Umlaut. Oh, all right. We, I think you're talking from a position of knowledge. Um, yes, it's probably Huber. Uh, you were doing some research into the origins of your own last name, which uh, brought brought this question up, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because I, I think it, it seems quite unusual in the UK, but then it, it, it's it's kind of pretty bog standard in Austria, Germany. I think it's in the top ten surnames. Um, but it's good to have as a, a a surname for a byline here because it kind of sticks out a bit. I think, hopefully. Right. Let's let's get into the real conversation for today. And we're going to spend a lot of today talking about the art, I suppose, of the expert interview. Uh, I think looking at the state of play today, we need experts really to make sense of the world that we're, we're living in with so much happening in the news. Um, but with that, there's kind of some pitfalls that we can run into on, on both sides of the interview from the interviewer's perspective and also the interviewees. Um, so a very general question, maybe to just kick us off, Nick, is what really is the gold standard of an interview with an expert? That's a good question. And I think I've probably over the, the course of my career, 25 years or so in journalism, probably done thousands, maybe tens of thousands of experts with interviews on the phone or online via email. And I think there's a few kind of gold standards. Um, there's first of all, specialist knowledge about the subject, which is you'd hope is a kind of given. Um, there's also then there's the kind of communication skills. So can they explain something in a layperson's language? During my career, I've kind of tried to explain this in slightly different ways, because I think when some experts hear layperson's language, they think, oh, it's maybe just someone who's only got 10 years knowledge about East European widgets or whatever. Whereas really what I mean by layperson's language is, say, can an intelligent 11-year-old um, understand what they're saying can their aunt or uncle can their friend who doesn't work in the industry and then i think it's explaining it not just simply but in quite lively everyday languages like idioms for example i've talked to quite a few experts in 
tax and accounting, and you've had um, there been people who are fairly well known in the professional services accounting, like John Whiting, who can talk about the real intricacies, the nitty gritty of tax. Which is a bit of a dry subject and hard to make it a bit lively, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then when you start to sort of connect changes in the tax system with people paying more or less tax or companies avoiding tax or evading tax, um, it's it's kind of not so dry. But it's really hard to explain well. And I think even sort of politicians don't really understand the finer workings of the, you could argue, the tax system or accounting. It's absolutely vital if you're a journalist to have experts in your copy to give them credibility to give context you might have some theories and you'll need people to kind of corroborate them and you'll just simply need people to explain things that you maybe only half understand when you were speaking to someone with decades more experience than you particularly as a budding journalist it's easy to feel intimidated and for your self-confidence to falter a situation like this can also flare up imposter syndrome or an inferiority complex those feelings of anxiety, inadequacy and self-doubt when you do not feel like you deserve the position you hold or are speaking out of your depth. The end result is more or less the same, feeling as though you're asking stupid questions that are beneath your interviewee. Here's the encouraging message from Nick. Simple questions are the bread and butter of an expert interview. Even with all of his expertise and experience, he still asks basic questions because that's the only way to get a story that makes sense to the reader early in your career or certainly I, I I felt this you're sort of grappling with learning the skills of your trade the writing the interviewing the reporting the spotting a news angle and then you've got to get to grips with quite intricate quite specialist subject matter particularly if you're a generalist or if you move around say my background's business reporting you might for a couple of years you might write about say the accountancy sector then you might write about you know the IT industry and it is hard, but the thing that I always try and go back to or think of is I'm not interviewing the expert to make the expert think I'm a great reporter or an expert on the subject. I'm interviewing them for the reader, but perhaps even more importantly for my editor. So I don't care if the interviewee thinks I'm asking obvious questions, as long as I'm asking the questions that the reader wants answered and my editor wants answered because it's no point in me letting the interviewee waffle on and then saying, oh, that's great, that's great, and then realising at the end of the interview, oh, no, I've got, there's lots of gaps here and they haven't really elaborated on that, given examples, and then I, I file the copy and then my editor says, oh, right, no, you need to go back to them, and that's more frustrating and a bit more embarrassing. Yeah, you'd rather be there and then recognising it and then asking those follow-up questions when they sh- when they occur to you. Because you're quite right, that's a dangerous position when you are interviewing someone really more for their approval, let's say, or, or respect, rather than in the interests of your own story. And that's certainly a situation you can find yourself in when speaking to experts. You know, am I asking the right questions? Do they think I'm not worth their time or something like that? And that's really where those feelings of insecurity and inadequacy can sort of rear their head. Exactly. And I think the more, as a rule of thumb, I'd say the more elaborate your questions are um, in an interview, the worse they are. Um, The more simple the questions, the better, really, because generally you're getting to the heart of a subject and you've got more time for their answers. 
but yeah, I'm, I'm not perfect. Well, maybe in the interest of asking a simple question, then I think hmm. perhaps the danger that you can be in when speaking to experts is you start nodding along, as you say, and taking everything on face value, you start to be very credulous as a journalist. Questioning experts, how do you do it? Well, I think there's a couple of ways here. There's certain stock phrases you can say like, okay, well, I understand that point, but just to be devil's advocate or what critics of this might say is, and then you put the opposite point of view, or you just flatter the ego by saying, oh, that, that's a really interesting point, but, um, and I think, you know, it'd be great to get a bit more on this. Can you elaborate or can you give a couple of examples? Or if they're just really, if the interviewee is just being really stubborn and, and maybe a bit arrogant, you just say, look, I'm, I'm sorry, but I don't fully understand this. Um, I only half understand this, and my reader certainly won't. And if you want your quotes attributed to this or to use anything from this interview, can you just explain it slightly differently? So you need to dig your heels in and just remember that to get something useful from the interview, you you will have to sort of probe them slightly, get them to elaborate and give examples, because maybe the top 10% of people I interview can just answer questions fluently and I don't need to challenge them on things or get them to give examples or push them to give examples. I think it's very rare for just do one fluent interview in which it's a prompt question and then a fluent answer and that's fine. Mm. I think that's a really enlightening point that it's human nature to need to re-explain things and experts are humans at the end of the day. If they've done it all in one take, it's very likely they're highly media trained anyway so if you're speaking to anyone worth speaking to they're going to need to re-explain the point anyway so you might as well ask exactly and going back to our earlier point their idea of of what is clear (laughs) is generally quite different to what the average journalist thinks of as clear and, and what the reader will think of as clear because generally you're interviewing as a journalist generally they should know a lot more about a subject, whatever it is, business, technology, politics, economics, some social issue. They should know a lot more than you do. That's why you're interviewing them. The, the kind of your skill as a journalist is to sort of get the really filter through the really useful information or, or, or interesting comments and um, focus on that and elaborate on it. And, and your personal um, process here do you how how strictly do you come up with a list of questions and how strictly do you stick to those i might come up with four or five questions which i'll 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 write on the page on the screen before the interview or i'll just have a rough idea about two areas which i want to maybe you know in a 20 minute interview which i really want to sort of go into in depth sometimes when i'm doing a newspaper article i mainly write for the Financial Times, uh, and it's mainly about technology. And so, at least I and I specialise in technology, so I kind of generally know a bit about the subject. But if it's a really complicated subject, or if I'm really specific if, about what I want from the interview, I might send a few the rough gist of what I'm looking for in the interview before, not the actual questions, but I might say, right, okay, say so if it's about artificial intelligence, I want to talk about, I don't know, it might be the privacy concerns about artificial intelligence or ethical concerns or how artificial intelligence is being used in say financial services just so before the interview they've got a rough idea about 
what I want rather than sometimes they start to go off at a tangent and it takes about five or 10 minutes to get them back on track. So I'd rather do that than go in cold and then they just have the synopsis. Most of the time, you will find experts who are willing to guide you through tricky topics, and that helps calm any interview nerves and insecurities. But sometimes, you will also stumble across people with what Nick calls expert syndrome. In his experience, these are a minority of prickly characters who are not willing to humble themselves to answer necessary, simple questions, and may even take steps to ridicule you for asking them. That can be discouraging for an interviewer low on self-confidence, but it is important to hold your nerve in these situations and insist that you are only asking what your readers need to understand. The expert syndrome, it's sort of a, a kind of arrogance and a kind of unwillingness to explain things in layperson's terms in really simple, clear language. And I think it's also a slight lack of empathy they're stuck in this expert silo um and they may be in their organization whether it's a company or the public sector they're kind of not challenged much about what they talk about and how they explain things and maybe the press office or pr has never um pulled them up and said look you really need to be a bit more accommodating when you're trying to get your message across with journalists most people don't know as much about you or they're just surrounded by experts are they used to speaking that way yeah yeah exactly and i suppose as journalists we were used to even if we specialize in certain subjects we're used to sort of dipping in and out and having to take a step back and and think right not only what what's the story um, but how am I explaining this clearly enough? Because you can't, even if you're writing for a specialist publication, you can't assume that everyone's going to come to it with a loss of knowledge about the subject. And even if they do, you they're probably going to forget a loss of the kind of the context or the history about something. And you get this kind of tug of war. Absolutely. How commonplace are people with expert syndrome in your experience? I'd say it's about 10, 20% of the experts I, most of the experts I interview, well, certainly hundreds a year. Most are, are pretty nice, but I, I had it recently um, in the last in, couple of months or so when it, someone with fairly bad expert syndrome who actually gave a really interesting interview and I got some good stuff from it, but I was sort of asking the kind of fairly direct and simple question an important question but to that person it was words you know their response was something like well look Nick you know that's a bit obvious isn't it and I just said right well it might be obvious to you but not to the reader and it was one <laughs> one of those ones where you sort of it was like delayed I, I was relatively calm during the interview then I sort of got a bit irritated afterwards it's, it's that delayed reaction but I'd say it's only minority of of experts and I find that like a lot of life really that sometimes the worst people with expert syndrome are the more junior to middle ranking experts if there's if you can imagine a premier league of experts and so the people who are really experts at being an expert and very well respected and just brilliant communicators they've got less of an ego and they're a bit more modest and approachable it's the people that the, the more prickly ones and the ones who 
maybe are a bit insecure about their own abilities to communicate or when you do challenge say perhaps that's not quite so clear can you explain it in a different way they see that as an insult and, and perhaps they panic a bit because they realize oh actually i don't understand this as much as i thought right how much of this could be mitigated before the interview even kicks off like before you hit the record button how much can be ironed out just in pre-interviewing tactics i think it can and i think maybe i need to start doing more of this um just to avoid the sort of slight clashes or misunderstandings i think it can be mitigated by emailing before just to explain the kind of people you've been talking to not necessarily name names talk about what you've already got and what you in terms of the angles on the subject and then what you want to focus on and i always at the start of an interview or just before an interview try and explain who the audience is for the subject and generally i'll sort of say if you can really avoid jargon and explain things clearly that would be great yeah the the trouble is when jargon's just so common parlance for them they'll just say it in passing and because they're so used to being surrounded by you know people in their company who understand all of that shared uh, terminology and then you sort of have to go back and pull them up so what does that mean it can be a bit of an awkward thing to do but it's it's entirely necessary what do you do during the interview to watch out for expert syndrome and um how do you deal with it when it when it crops up if i sense they're a bit prickly rather than saying look that really doesn't make any sense. You're just spewing jargon. I might just ask the question in a slightly different way. And sometimes they don't notice and they'll explain it more clearly. A good example being? Well, I might just say, for example, hmm, that that's really interesting, but what does it mean to, and then you might say a slightly different, if you're talking about um, a business you might say what does it mean to the customer how would you explain it to the customer or if someone was skeptical or if someone was coming to your business afresh or didn't know much about your industry or technology how would you explain it to them the problem is with a lot of interviewees is that either they're not specific enough and, and they don't go into too much detail or they really struggle to give an overview or a big picture. What I take from your answer there, Nick, is creating a situation where they can apply what they've said to a real world situation, because then in that sense, they've got something more tangible to work with. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. And perhaps, yeah, I need to add that to my, my list of stop phrases. But if I want more specifics, I might say, right, particularly if I'm writing about business or technology, can you give some some real life examples? Or I'll say, can you think of an analogy? So like if this was a car what would it be would it be a car that's just about to go on the scrap people would it be a tesla or would it be a porsche and so the great kind of communicators and experts this is kind of second nature the jonathan van tans or whatever um the john curtis will, will come up with analogies and idioms to make things quite complex abstract things understandable but yeah it's can you give examples or can you give an example of a customer who's doing this or when you talk or if they don't want to talk about the customer say well without naming them what 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 do your service users what do your customers think about this what do they really worry about what are the benefits of it but a lot of the time it's just it's trying to get this funnel of information mm. 
finally, one of the last problems, of course, with interviewing experts is they waffle a lot and they seem to go off on tangents and you can never seem to get a word in edgeways. Have you got, you know, this is something I need to work on. Uh, any tips on how and when to interrupt them um, to try and help them get to the point or reach a, you know, a better conclusion? I think it's better to interrupt fairly frequently. I mean, you don't want to sort of do it so much that it's, seems to be almost confrontational or rude. But I think it's possible to sort of develop a rapport with an interviewee. And it the more you sort of do it, the, I think the user it becomes as, as a journalist, even if they are a bit prickly. But I think if you kind of leave things too long before interrupting, then you've got to go back and say, right, okay, going back a bit, um, that first thing you said, what do you mean by that? That second thing, that third thing. And so I think, unfortunately, you've got to do it soon after they say something that's a bit unclear. I suppose if you organise your take in sort of detailed notes, which you will, you can sort of wait until they finish something and say, okay, that's really good. Can we just unpick that a bit? What do you mean by this? Can we add a bit more detail on that? But if you sort of do it sort of politely, I don't think there's anything wrong with interrupting people just for clarification, because ultimately a lot of journalists are under quite tight time pressure. And so they don't have time to let someone waffle on. The more they waffle on, the worse it gets. And the more jargon they start to use without you challenging them on it, um, the more difficult it becomes. And it's a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, starts to unravel from there. Nick, two quick fire questions really to, to close things up. Um, one, your best tip um, going into an interview um, with, with an expert to kind of have the, the self-assuredness really to ask the right questions and hold the nerve. What would you say? It doesn't matter if they think your questions are dumb. And if they think your questions are dumb, you're asking the right questions. Yeah. Or maybe speaking to the wrong person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I suppose, the you know, the other tips would be just do you research. But I think after a while, like a lot of journalism, it, it becomes interviewing people becomes instinctive. Maybe after about five years in journalism, I noticed that a lot of things, including interviewing, started to fall in place. And so now when I'm doing an interview, um, after about 10 or 15 minutes, I'll have a clear idea if I've got enough. And that's the most important thing, that instinct. Yeah. And, and then lastly, then the other side, uh, a parting tip on getting your expert interviewee to um, come down a little bit from their perch and be a little bit more, more modest for the interview. What would you say? You explain to them what your role is, what you're looking for. And so they've got less grounds then to sort of pull rank on you in the interview and say, oh, well, actually, you know, this is a bit of a fatuous question. Surely everyone knows that. So I think it's worth explaining a couple of the sort of principles or rules for the interview before you start um, and being confident enough to say that. And that should minimise, I think, any any misunderstanding. Or otherwise, if they ignore that, then they're a bit of a nightmare and you know, you might get something from the interview, but you might, you know, in your contacts database, you might put a note next to them, you know, don't interview again. Or... <laughs> Nick, superb advice. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been a real blast. Thank you. Thank you. My big takeaway this week is that it's rare for anybody to nail a perfect summary in one take. Normally people are happy to go back to basics if you ask in the interests of clarification. 
Now that does require the reporter to be alert to technical jargon and be able to rework their questions on the fly. Managing expectations pre-interview is critical to mitigating expert syndrome, but do expect to need to dig your heels in from time to time. What did you learn today? Do you have any tips to share with us? DM or tweet me at jpgjournalism or my team at journalism.co.uk at Journalism News. If you'd like to feature on the show or you've got a topic or story you want us to cover on the podcast, please do get in touch. I'm on jacob at journalism.co.uk. And finally, if you liked what you heard today, you can check out more of our episodes on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching and subscribing to the journalism.co.uk podcast. That way, you won't miss our next exciting episode. But that's all we have time for this week. I've been your host, Jacob Granger. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.